ラマシン Welcome, you're listening to Metapod, climbing inside the machine. We talk to people developing new models to make exciting projects happen. I'm your host, Martin Franklin. Ten years ago, I supported a successful film project on Kickstarter. That film was called Everything is a Remix, a film exploring copyright and the building blocks of creativity. The filmmaker was Kirby Ferguson. The term remix originally applied to music. It rose to prominence late last century during the heyday of hip hop, the first popular music form to incorporate sampling from existing recordings. Skip ahead to the present, and anybody can remix anything music, video, photos, whatever and distribute it globally pretty much instantly. You don't need expensive tools, you don't need a distributor, you don't even need skills. Remixing is a folk art, anybody can do it. Yet these techniques, collecting material, combining it, transforming it, are the same ones used at any level of creation. You could even say that everything is a remix. For his next project, this is not a conspiracy theory, Kirby took the crowdfunding model a step further into actually crowdsourcing parts of the production of the film. In this episode, I talked to him about managing the crowdfunding process and the learning that he took out of it. Let's get into it. Well, thanks for agreeing to come and have this chat. It's great to see you and hear you. No problem. My pleasure. When I was doing a little bit of research prior to today, I saw that you've done a TED talk、mm-hmm. as well. Which、um, I started to get a little bit nervous then. I was, it, <laughs> suddenly I was like, oh my gosh, he's done a TED talk. That's,、uh, <laughs> so you're sort of elevated above normal humans after that. Don't be afraid. In that TED talk, you seem to have developed a sort of further concept beyond the everything is a remix film in, into the remix method being a fundamental part of creativity. Well, I mean, it's, it's what my series is about.、Um, it's everywhere. I mean, all people do, in my view, is copy, transform, and combine. So that's the remix method. And that is everywhere. That's all that people do. So all of my work is, is a compilation, basically, of examples of people doing that. So you can see it, in, you can see it everywhere. You can see it in technology. You can see it in the creation of the original Macintosh. You can see it in the iPhone.、Um, Uh, those were taken from previous、uh, innovations that were,、uh, in the case of the Mac, it was work by Xerox and、uh, different computer researchers. For the iPhone, it was more obscure stuff. It wasn't commercial products so much as it was with the, with the Mac.、Um, and you see in creativity all the time, you especially see it with young creators. You know, like Led Zeppelin、uh, in their first album, I use them as an example. They、uh, copied all sorts of lyrics and riffs and、uh, melodies from different folk artists or blues artists. The opening and closing sections of Bring It On Home are lifted from a tune by Willie Dixon entitled, not coincidentally, Bring It On Home. The Lemon Song lifts numerous lyrics from Helen Wolf's Killing Floor. Black Mountainside lifts its melody from Black Waterside, a traditional arranged by Bert Jansch. 
Dazed and Confused features different lyrics, but is clearly an uncredited cover of the same titled song by Jake Holmes. Oddly enough, Holmes filed suit over 40 years later in 2010. Been dazed and confused for so long, it's not true. I'm dazed and confused, hanging on by a thread. Did you develop that sort of uh, kind of precise methodology before you made the film or did it evolve kind of as part of that process? Yeah, it came out of the, uh, what I had when I started it was, um, I had just the bits like, here's a bit about Led Zeppelin, here's a bit about Star Wars. Like this was, this was all this stuff's more known now, but it was, it was more novel back when I did it. Quentin Tarantino, uh, the Mac. I had these bits that I thought, oh, that's interesting. Like to see where these ideas came from is, is, it could be interesting little short videos. And I just started building those out. And then I realized, oh, like I can tell a story about these examples. And then the examples can fit within this larger narrative. And then I didn't even know about copy transform combined. I didn't know what that was. I didn't have the, the term uh, that those, I hadn't broken it down into those three components. So it was something that started first with the examples. And then as I built it out, I figured out um, what the different techniques were. Although the subject matter is fascinating, I wanted to talk about the 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 way you made the films, and I don't recall exactly from where I came across it, but I originally encountered everything as a remix through Kickstarter, um, and supporting that mm-hmm. there. Awesome. Could you say you, you if you if you sort of derived any learning from that crowdfunding process? Yeah, gosh. I mean, it's really humbling. I mean, I've done three, I think I've done three Kickstarters now. So I did one for my latest video series, which I just finished, which is called This Is Not a Conspiracy Theory. That was my first one. It went way long, way, way super long. Um, So I had not a lot, but definitely some unhappy campers there. I, I gave a few refunds, not a lot, but enough to be a bit demoralizing. Is this because people were unhappy that your creative process was taking such a long time? Yeah. Yeah. They're just like, and then people would take cheap shots. Like one guy said like, oh, like you took this amount of money and whatever it was, it was $58,000 or something like that, which sounds great. That sounds like a lot of money, but like you Kickstarter in those days, that included your shipping costs, which is like 25% of the money or whatever. And it doesn't subtract the amount of money that you have to put into producing the DVDs and the Blu-rays and the posters and all the stuff that I was. So it's a much smaller amount than that. And then once you stretch it out over the months or years that it takes to make that, it gets much more meager, right? So his his insult was like, you took all this money and you just, you know, now you're not doing shit. You've got your thumb up your ass. Um, so it didn't happen a lot, but there was enough of it uh, to, to be a bit demoralizing and it's hurtful, you know, like, cause you're doing your best Mm-hmm. Um, and I certainly did mismanage it. You know, I didn't, didn't, I, I could have done a better job on it in retrospect. Um, I could have been more realistic about how to get it done. Um, but I just didn't know, you know, I just did not know at the time. So I, I did my best with it and prioritized just making the best product that I could make. And, and I did ultimately deliver that. So, so I did one that was kind of a mixed bag. And then the two ones, the shirt ones, if you got that shirt through a Kickstarter, those went pretty smoothly. And I also produced a video uh, as, as a, that was the goal. 
uh, I believe, I think I've got this straight, was to produce an Everything is Remix video if I got to a certain number and I did that and I made the video and and that all went pretty smoothly. So most of the Everything is Remix stuff has gone pretty smoothly, but this is not a conspiracy theory thing because it was so big yeah. and I'd never done it before that it uh, it went way long. Let's get on to the details of this is not a conspiracy theory in a, in a moment. I just wanted to just pick up on something you said there. I, I was It just struck me that it could be a matter of supporters feeling like they're they're buying a product rather than supporting yeah. a process. Sure. Am I right in remembering that everything was a remix was a kind of episodic mm-hmm. production yep. as well? So there were as they came up, you know, you delivered your your chapters of the of the movie. Yes. Right, and that and that wasn't enough to sort of satisfy supporters that it really was happening and they were no because it took two years before i actually launched a first video so there was a large gap before something public came out they did see they saw a cut in like a year and a half and keep in mind it wasn't the only thing i was doing like i was i was doing a bunch of commission work at the time and and working to make money and and all this other stuff so i wasn't just i wasn't it wasn't a day job working on the kickstarter project uh, but it did take a long time to get off the ground. I think it was it was in that period mainly that people were the crankiest. And then it, as it started to get going, where you just didn't, there just wasn't a lot of screen time that I delivered. Like I delivered one episode and it was five minutes long and I delivered another one and it was 10 minutes long. So you've got 15 minutes, which which is a decent amount of screen time in, in this age. But like it, it's not uh, what what I'm ultimately going to do. And And people were still cranky. And then once I got to the next episode, which was, 15 minutes long or so, then I'm up to 30 minutes. So then people kind of feel like they, they got something at that point. And the no, the noise pretty much disappeared after that. Mm-hmm. And people were, and, and the people who were the crankiest, you know, had been refunded and left. And keep in mind, this was only, you know, three people or something like that. Mostly it was people, most of the people who were complaining, they weren't really complaining. They were just, they wanted the thing and they were asking about the thing um, they just wanted to get done and were eager to see it. It wasn't so much complaining, but it was a, it was a fair amount of pressure. It's, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, it's, it's evident in the, in the productions that there's a huge amount of research that goes into oh, yeah. every, every element of it. Oh, yes. Did you manage to keep that crowd of supporters with you for your, for your next productions? I don't know. For what's coming up, I don't know. I haven't done anything yet. <laughs> but uh, with, with this, not a conspiracy theory, from, you mean? No, from that original, everything is a remix cohort. Did you manage to keep them with you f- to know. support future things? I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know the numbers. I don't know how many I kept. I didn't. Uh, I don't have data on that. So you, I definitely uh, kept some some amount of them. There's certainly plenty of them. Okay. Uh, but I'm sure I lost lots of people just from being too slow, and just people want you to do the old thing again, right? Which I wasn't interested in doing. So some people are, you know, some people expect something that's very much like the previous thing that you did and I didn't want to do that. So there's lots of reasons for people. I'm sure I lost lots of people. All right, so you just struck out and tried to find a new audience for each new movie. Yeah, I don't, I I mean, I definitely try to serve the existing audience, but I don't, um, with that one, and keep in mind, there's only two of these projects, so there's not a large... Mm sample here um but for me with this not a conspiracy theory it's just about doing the best job that i can with it and doing something that i think has value and it wasn't so much i've got to serve this audience like i was doing the best i can for myself and assuming that uh you know people would find it interesting as well and trying to Mm -hmm. just make the highest quality product that i could for the audience that i've got but whether i was but 
tailoring it to them um, wasn't wasn't really a priority. I was just trying to make it the best I can and, course, and yeah. hope, that, hope that that appeals to people. Yeah. Um, all right, so let, let's move on to uh, this is not a conspiracy theory. And you seem to have developed the the crowdfunding model into, into sort of crowdsourced production for this one. Sort of. I mean, there wasn't a lot of viewer. I, it's something that I did throughout. Like basically, this is not conspiracy theory, is an episodic documentary. So it's a it's a documentary that came out in parts. Each part was roughly 10 minutes long or so, and there's seven of them. So uh, it came out in chunks, and then between chunks, there were large gaps of months. Um, and I would also post update videos between the episodes where I would tell people what was going on, and I would sometimes invite viewer contributions. So early on, there were quite a few motion graphics contributions. There were plenty, so animation and and uh, different visual, moving visual stuff. There's plenty of help with Photoshop. There's a lot of just chores they have to do with Photoshop where you're just like masking uh, portraits and stuff like that, isolating the, the, the figure from the background, stuff like that. Just just chores like that that got to get done. Lots of people help with that. So there's stuff like that that's, that's just stuff that you got to get done, you know, uh, that people helped with. And then there was a lot of help with music. There was definitely a lot of, uh, especially in the last few episodes, a fellow named Kevin Pandell stepped up and offered to help. And uh, he did a lot of music in the last three or four episodes. Um, but there wasn't a lot of, there was some help with Photoshop in the last couple episodes, but there wasn't a lot of, uh, other help in the last couple episodes. So it's definitely there. It's significant. Um, but it is a, just a buttload of work, um, for me. Like, no, I don't get any help with the research or the, or, or the writing, like very little help with the writing. I get people giving notes on it, but it's not a lot. Yeah. So it's definitely in there. It's a contribution, but it's not really a collaborative project. It's very much like I'm I'm making it, and I get help with with making mm-hmm. some parts of some parts of it. So it helped a lot with the music with Kevin in particular, um, and helped with some Photoshop and some motion graphics early on. But a lot of what you see is is stuff that I had to sit there and do myself. Oh yeah, no doubt. So how, how did you initiate those um, those tasks that you wanted to outsource? Did you publish a, a list of things you'd like people to work on? No, it was usually, I would just invite people to contribute. It was just an open call. Mm. And then whoever got in touch, I would want to see something that they'd done, like show me your stuff so I can see where you fit and where your skills are at. Um, And then I would assign, I would ask people if they could do something. Sometimes I would get a response, sometimes not. When you're dealing with free labor, it's very, like you take what you can get. Um... And I was very thankful for like whatever I could get. And when people couldn't do something, that was totally fine. Or, when, or if people started something and then couldn't finish it, finish it or whatever, that was fine as well, right? Like I wasn't judgmental at all about what people could do and was very thankful when people could follow something through to finish it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, it was just an open call. Who's interested? Get in touch with those people. At first it was email. Ultimately it turned over to Slack. Oh, yeah. Um, to manage the tasks uh, and went back and forth. I never, I never spoke to anybody. It was always uh, email or, or Slack. Um, and there was lots of back and forth, uh, giving notes and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And that's how it worked. Okay. And so, and so then that was a pretty smooth, smooth process once people had had their tasks yet. Yep, it was. I mean, there's definitely, there's a high failure rate to it because it's people helping for free and they're doing other stuff and some of them are students and they've got 
exams and deadlines and stuff like that. So you never quite know what you're going to get, or it's people who have jobs already and they've got deadlines and stuff that they've got to get finished. So you never know. There's a high failure rate. And I couldn't keep people for very long, generally speaking. Like some people could help on this task, but they can't help on the next next task because they've got other commitments that they've got to uh, attend to. Um, So it was smooth once somebody was in and could finish something, could could go all the way with it. But there certainly was plenty of people dropping out and and just managing people's schedules and stuff like that was not so smooth. But the actual back and forth with with the individuals was generally smooth. Mm. So with that um, that learning that you mentioned f- uh, from your original Kickstarter, where people were getting a little bit impatient for the final uh, the, yeah. fi- the final product, uh, how did you keep in a little bit more close contact with your supporters? For this is not a conspiracy theory. There were updates in between, um, but that that wasn't what people wanted. Um, they didn't want updates. They wanted the episodes. So there are two types of videos with it, right? There were the actual episodes, which is the actual documentary. That's the thing that I'm really making. And then there's these like behind the scenes things where I'm talking about talking about how I'm getting it done. And it's, it's just sort of an update on, on where I'm at with the video. That's not what they, that's not what most people wanted. Um, so I could have made more of those, but that, that isn't what people wanted. Most people wanted me to just dedicate time to finishing the video. So I didn't worry about that. I didn't worry about um, keeping in contact with people. I didn't feel like that was the priority. That's what people wanted. So I didn't address that. I didn't do that. It wouldn't have worked. It, it just wasn't what people wanted. They didn't want more of me. They wanted the episodes faster. And one of the ways to do that is do less stuff in between. So I actually probably <laughs> overall did less stuff less updates in between because people wanted the episodes faster. Oh, okay. That, that's pretty interesting to hear because, um, yeah, I'd sort of assumed that those behind-the-scenes in-production clips would have made the audience feel like they were really in into the machine there. For some, for some. For some people, it was like that, and they did appreciate it. But that's the minority. That's the real hardcore people who really they'll they'll take everything that that you can give them. But they're they're not the majority. Uh, the, the they're they're a minority. Um, so it was it was kind of about striking a balance and keeping those people happy, like the people who who are really dedicated and are gonna they're gonna be there with me for years and years to come, right? So you want to keep them happy for sure. Uh, but at the same time, they're outnumbered by a majority who just want the next episode. And I think even they probably would even mm. say that they want the episodes first. Yeah. Th- thinking about um, keeping those people with you, am I right thinking that you're now using Patreon as a means of, of gathering going support? Yeah, I am. Uh, it, it's all I have in mind for the near future for crowdfunding. Um, and I haven't really pushed it. It's just sort of there and it hasn't become a priority yet because I've just been focused on finishing. This is not conspiracy theory, but now that's done. And I think now in 2020, there will be some some free videos that I'll be uh, posting on Patreon so people can uh, can back me there. And that to me on Patreon, I just get paid when I deliver something. It's not like a monthly model that, that some people do. And I understand why people do it that way. But I'd rather, for now, I'd rather, I don't like the pressure of like taking the, taking money and then people expecting you to deliver after that. I'd rather, for now, deliver the thing and then I get some money. Like that to me works better because I'm too sporadic, you know, with, um, with getting things done. Yeah, so you, 
I'm hoping you can you can answer this question. But um, what what new projects do you have in mind that you might use that platform for? Basically, just extra. This is not a conspiracy theory videos. Like basically, just videos that are about the topic of that series that are free. They they didn't fit. Basically, when when I made that series, uh, not every idea I came up with fit into the series, right? Um, so there's kind of some, some extra stuff that I have, um, that I developed during that process. And, uh, this is a way to, uh, make, uh, make use of stuff that, uh, didn't fit in the original, in the original project and and publicize the series. I'll be sure to list all of the links when I publish the podcast eventually. Great. Essential, essential website to keep in touch with all of your projects. Uh, I would say this is not conspiracytheory.com for now is the major one. And they can also go to kirbyferguson.com if they want kind of more generalized stuff about me. Perfect. Yeah. All right, Kirby. Thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. November 1963. I really enjoyed that conversation with Kirby. You can still watch and download the movies that we talked about in this episode by going to Everything is a remix.info. And for the current project, this is not a conspiracy theory.com. I hope you enjoy watching and thanks for listening. You don't get it. Then help me, please. I need to know. This may be hard for you to understand, but there is no conspiracy. Nobody is in charge. <laughs>